0: You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Today we begin a new series called The Church, The Redemptive Community, where we work together. Peter lays out some principles for the church in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11, that I would like to walk you through this morning and by the way these folks are in a time where the church isn't the most well-respected place in fact many of them face persecution for their beliefs and for living for Christ in their lives it's kind of like what we're facing today churches become a secondary place not the first place and so Peter writes to a group of people that are similar to what we're experiencing. If there's one thing that I won't be able to say enough during this series, it is this. When we discuss these things, we need to realize that never in the Bible was the Christian faith an individual thing. In fact, most times when you read the word you in the Old Testament, it is translated to mean a corporate you. The people of God. You, the people of God. Now in America, we've made church about us and our preferences. And when our preferences aren't met, we find fault and make decisions that sometimes do not honor God. That's not the biblical standpoint of church. The word "church" is actually never mentioned in the scriptures, by the way, and so it's a redemptive community. In fact, I think inside the principles laid out here for us are the keys to the church that survives the hard times and the church that folds during the hard times. So, I want to take a look at all of these things that Peter says in First Peter chapter four to help us figure out where we're at so let's take a look again at those things and the first thing we see on your sermon outline will be this and it will be on the screen as well the end of all things is near now automatically when we read this what we think of is is that we think that Peter is saying to ourselves to each of us that we are at the end of the time we are done God is about, Jesus is about to blow the trumpet through Gabriel and come down through the clouds, and he's about to take us up. But what Peter was talking about was not that at all. In fact, when I started on this, on this passage uh, a couple of weeks ago when we had our Faith Church uh, team meeting, um, in the, this is what I used for the devotional for that night. When I started at studying this passage, that's the first thing I thought of. Wow, this is so cool. It's going to fit into today's world and all these things. And that is not at all what he is saying here. Here's what he's saying. Christ has came. He has died. He has risen. Now we are in the last days. Peter is not saying here it'll happen tomorrow. Obviously, it didn't for Peter. He's saying since we are past all the reconciliation work of Christ. So he's been born as with a virgin birth, and you know why that's important, or you should. It's important because if he's not born of a virgin birth, he's just like all of us. When I was born, I was born of Craig and Lynette Kindig, and Craig and Lynette Kindig are not perfect human beings. They would be the first to say amen to that if they were here this morning. And because they're not perfect human beings, I inherited sin from Craig and Lynette Kindig. Jesus was born of Mary, a virgin so that he didn't inherit sin and then he goes on and he lives a life and he dies and he dies for each of our sins and so he dies and and then he and then he comes you know what we celebrate at Easter time he comes to life he, he resurrects himself out of the grave and all of that is paid for now. All of that is done. All the reconciliation work for is done. Now from the, gray, or from the resurrection Sunday to whatever day he comes back, Peter is calling the end of all time is near. Because all of it's been paid. All of it's been taken care of. And so the end of all times is near to Peter. Now, with that being said, obviously there's scripture that leads us to believe that we are closer to the second coming of Christ than Peter may have been when he wrote this letter, for instance. Look in Matthew chapter 24. It'll be on the screen, verses 6 through 8. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. I mean, have we not heard of wars and rumors of wars? Have we not heard of nations and kingdoms fighting against each other? If you think what's going on over in Afghanistan and other things isn't a biblical fight, you should really do some study. It's been from the Old Testament. These two have been going at each other. Kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. But notice what Matthew writes to the church. But see to it that you are not, what? Alarmed. You're not alarmed. I think it's key that Matthew writes this. I'll tell you why in just one second. I want you to think. So Peter is not necessarily saying that the end of time is near when he writes it. He is saying that the end of time is near, but the definition of near for him is different than the definition of near for us. He's looking at it from the point that Jesus has done all that he can do. He's set his way. He is in heaven now, and he is just waiting. So it could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. It could be weeks from now. It could be years from now. It could be hundreds of years from now. It turned out for Peter it is thousands of years from now. But we know that there are certain things that will begin to happen in order for the the time to be set up. But here's why Jesus, or Matthew, in Matthew 24 says, see to it that you're not alarmed, because that, my friends, is what was going on in Peter's church. Christians were the ones freaking out. They were losing their heads because it was the end of times, or at least they thought so. See, the f- because we live in those last days, Peter is saying here listen there's a few actions that I want to provoke you to do and I want you to be unlike my church he's saying to us in 2021 I want you to be unlike my church because my church man they're they're losing their heads They can't even think straight. They're not even doing what they should be doing at the end of time. If they think it's the end of time, they should be about my father's business is what they should be doing. But they're not even doing that because they're so caught up in this political scheme and that political scheme and this situation and that situation that they have missed the mark. Their heads are not in the game. They're so frustrated by this person and that person that they have missed the fact that they are living in the end times and that that calls for them to be certain things in the church. You see, this is what what Christ is saying throughout the scriptures. He's saying, listen, when the end of times comes, the church should be somehow standing firmly when the rest of the world is falling apart, not vice versa. So the first action is threefold it'll be on the screen again and it's your first blanks I believe for your sermon outline the first action is 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 threefold it's number one be alert be alert letter a sorry not number one letter a letter B is is or is a B of sober mind. And let her see is pray. Now we're going to sit there for a while and let those on the screen for just a tad bit. This is all found in the second half of verse 7. Here's what it says. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Again, what was happening here was the nearness of the end. And Peter's day was driving some people, in the Greek it literally gives you an idea that they were outside of their heads. They were so freaked out by the fact that they were living in the end times that they were outside of their heads. They weren't thinking straight. They were making decisions that didn't make um, Christ happy, didn't make God happy, didn't make Peter happy as their, as their, quote, pastor. Now, if this is happening in Peter's day, who are we kidding that it wouldn't happen today? I mean, we're talking mucho amount of, years ago. And now we actually see things. We actually hear of rumors of wars. We actually see earthquakes. And I, I forget I was reading one one website that 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 was giving the percentage and I think earthquakes and hurricanes and all that are up by 50% since 20 years ago or 60% or something like that. It's an amazing amount. It's almost like somebody's trying to get our attention, the website said. Hmm it's almost like someone's trying to get our attention. Hmm. And what do we do? Do we lose our heads? Peter asks us to not do that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, listen, believers, should be alert and of sober mind. And the reason you need to be of that is because you need to pray. At this moment in time, you need to pray. I like the way one commentator puts it. The realization that God is bringing history to a close should provoke believers to depend on him. And that dependence shows itself in how much we are putting in his hands through prayer. Whoa. So he's saying, listen, don't lose your head. Be alert. Watch your surroundings. Be of sober mind. Don't be like a drunk person walking around not knowing where you're turning or what you're doing. But be of sober mind. Understand your situation. And then, for the love of Christ, please pray. Pray. And when you're done praying, pray some more. And Peter is saying here listen pray 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 what should be going on in our minds as we hear more of this talk and more of this situation is not freaking out is not saying well I'd really like to get to this day or that day no it's to be praying now I'm not a statistical guy because I think you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say. That's my opinion of statistics. However, if you read statistics, and and I'm probably going to step on some toes here, but mine first. I took care of that this week. (laughs) Um, Church isn't doing real well with this. In fact, the more that people hear, the more they bail. You wanna know what the average is across the United States of America? You can blame it on COVID. You can blame it on whatever you wanna blame it on. It's so fine. The average is 30% of people have not returned and have no plans of returning. And if you say, well, where do we stand in that? I'll tell you, 30%. We're right with the average. Why? Because we've lost our heads. I'm just going to call it as I see it. Well, if the end of time is there, then I'm going to spend all the time I can doing this, and I'm going to spend all the money that I can doing this, and I'm going to spend all the time and this and forget Christ. And Peter very frankly looks at the church and he says, Listen, you've got three things you need to do. You need to be alert, you need to be sober minded, and you better be praying. Then Peter says the second action that should be provoked as time comes to a close, and that is this, love among believers. It doesn't get easier. I'll I'll explain that comment in just a second. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. This all leads us to a question in just a second that we'll get to. But I I, I just want to stop here. What, what, What Peter is saying is, listen, we need to love one another more. As the time appears that it's getting to the end, we need to love one another more. Because here's the deal, friends. We're going to be worshiping in heaven together. If we can't get along here, we better get our practice together before we get there. You do understand that, right? Now you all, everybody can say, well, we'll be perfect there, we'll be whatever there, all that good stuff, that's great and wonderful, it's very true, it's all of that, but what Christ is saying through his word is is that right now, what the world needs to see is people not arguing, not bickering, not fighting, not getting over one on each other, not trying to push each other's buttons, but to go after each other in love that's what people need to see. It goes back to John chapter 13 when he's at the end of his time on earth. Jesus says to his disciples, if you have the right theology, people will come and join your church. No, he doesn't. If you have the right belief on this subject, people will come and join your church. No, he doesn't. He looks at his 12 and he says, you want people to know who you belong to? You want people to follow me? You want people to get on their knees and say, I want what you have? Then you 12, you 12, just 12, love one another with all your heart. And watch how it will transform the entire. And this proves it works. How did the Romans get the gospel? Because 12 guys loved one another. And it traveled to Rome. And then it got bigger. And the apostle Paul came along. And he did all the missionary trips. And he started to share the gospel. And he started to love on people. And they started to say, man, I want this. But this, again, leads to a question. Here's the question on the next slide. Love each other deeply? Why? Here's the answer, because when you do others, shortcomings are held at the top, aren't held at the top of your list forever. In other words, you overlook imperfections in others and see their value in this redemptive community. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, guys, you want people to respond to you? You want people to come and know what what the hope they have? We just spent an entire Sunday school class, just about, for the part I was in, discussing about a world that, that has no hope. But what are we doing to share that hope? one of the things that we can do is love one another deeply notice he doesn't just stop with love one another some commentaries believe that Peter is driving this point home and he's saying deeply because he wants them to understand the very importance of this time one illustration that I found said that you have those who will do this kind of love, and then you have those who will, will use other shortcomings like sharks and blood. Do you know that a shark can smell blood in the water for miles ahead? Miles. Miles. And what do they do? They smell that blood and they go right after that blood because they know that person's bleeding. They're down, they're out, they're whatever, even if it's just a small toe that's bleeding. They get the sense that that person is hurt or that animal is hurt, so they go after them. The Apostle Peter is saying to his church here, he's saying, listen, what we have done is we have become sharks. We don't pray for our wounded, P-R-A-Y. We pray on our wounded, P-R-E-Y. That's what he's saying. Don't be down when you come to the church because they'll just kick you while you are. Peter's saying that. I'm not saying that about faith Church. Peter's asking a very direct question to them. Are you loving one another deeply? Are you holding on to things from years in past, you know? Or are you forgiving? Because what does, what does real love do? What does real love do? It covers over a multitude of sins. That's what real love does. Not the mushy stuff that we hear about on TV. That doesn't do that. What real love, what Christ's love does is it covers over a multitude of sins. It, it, it covers it. It blankets it. Thank God it does. Because I have a multitude to be forgiven of, don't you? And so Peter is saying, listen, you want, you want to reach people in the end times? You want to be a church that, that, that reaches people when, when times are rough? You do, two, you do three things. You, you, you are sober in mind. You are alert, and you pray, and then you love each other deeply. And so when people come in that are throwing their arrows at each other, I mean, you can't even disagree with people today. Try it sometime. It's fun. (laughs) That's what they say. You know, someone's having a discussion, and they they have a very passionate point about something, and you get up, and you say, no, that's not, that's not at all what I believe and this is what I believe, you'll, you'll be thrown under the bus. You can't even disagree. It's to the point where, you know, I go to physical therapy and I'm not going to say much about this. There's, there's this one person that goes to physical therapy with me and they have differing opinions than I do. And they let it be known to the entire staff and everybody who's working out at the same time of what their opinions are. Sometimes I say to Michelle, I just, I just want to say something. But I just sit on my exercise bike and say, Lord, forgive them. (laughs) Forgive me for having the attitude I have. Because I know it's not going to do any good. But out of that deep love we have for one another provokes the third action. And the third action is this, hospitality. Look at verse nine. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, one of the things that Peter does, it's like Peter reads our heads. Doesn't he? He, you know, he goes. He goes. Listen, love one another. Okay, I can love one another. I can kind of fake loving one another. No, I want you to do it deeply. Peter, Peter. And then he comes on and he says. And then he goes on and he goes. Now listen. Now I want you to ask for, offer hospitality. I can offer hospitality. And the whole time I'm in the kitchen offering hospitality, I can be grumbling about the fact that this person doesn't like what I served, or this person isn't this person, or this person isn't that person. And he says, and do it without grumbling. Give me a break, man. But Peter knows. This was more impactful when it was written than today. It was, a, it was a day when lodging and food was provided for those who were traveling throughout the world. And if they did not offer hospitality, well, it would not be good for the name of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we should not offer hospitality. In fact, I think we have let the pendulum swing to the whole other direction, where at times we shortchange hospitality. Peter realizes here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this kind of service can become long and hard. It's hard work. It is. Not that I would know. My wife would. You know, when I say something about, hey, we should invite so-and-so over, I kind of get this look. It's not, it's not an ignorant look, and, it, and I'm not picking on her, but, but it's a look of, you do realize how much work that is. No, I don't. <laughs> but maybe that's why Peter added, without grumbling. I get it, it's not easy, but check your heart before you do it. Otherwise, you're falling into the temptations to become half-hearted or worse, hard-hearted towards charity to others. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's what Peter's saying to his church. Wow. You don't stop grumbling about it. You can come to the point where you just don't care anymore. And that's a dangerous place. Last, being near to the end should provide us or provoke us to serve. Provoke us to serve. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. And what Peter is speaking of here is spiritual gifts, ones that are given to everyone. You do realize that, right? People tell me all the time they, they, they say to me, you know't get a, I don't have a spiritual gift I, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. The, the second statement there is more true than the first statement because if you don't have a spiritual gift um I'm going to put this to you lightly. You may need to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No, you do need to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because it's promised in Scripture that once you do that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and there is giftings used. And it's given to you to use in a redemptive community like Faith Church. Church. And so God, thousands of years ago, put this this plan into action and brought you to sit in your pew where you're sitting this morning. And those that are watching online and those who are on vacation this week, which is a lot of them, um, those who are wherever, they were all brought here thousands of years ago when this was all started. God had a plan. And he said, in 2021, I'm going to use the gifts of Faith Church to do this. And so he puts you here, right here, right now, for this moment in time. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe what First Peter is saying to us here this morning. And sometimes he shifts his armies. And sometimes he moves people from this place to this place because their gifting is needed in this place or that place. And so Peter here is speaking of spiritual gifts, ones that are given to everyone who comes to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and they should be used in their redemptive communities or church. Now here's the problem when we hear things like, and and, you know, this isn't just, I'll say it, this isn't just here, this is everywhere, this is, I hear people say sometimes, I don't, I don't, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. I don't know what my gift is. What? Um, You need to figure that out. Like, you're holding back stuff. Because you don't know what your gift is. Like, that's what Peter is saying here to the church. Listen, if it's a speaking gift, I'll get there in just a second. I'm going to stop myself from going there. But figure it out. There are plenty of places that you can figure those out. They have spiritual gift testing all over the place. Just let me know. I have some in my office. I can give you one. Figure it out and then plug in. And see, that's the, that's the struggle. Because here's, here's what I've seen happen in the past. I've seen people say, well, I really want to be gifted in this area. All right? So, so they come back with their spiritual gift test, and it's not in that area that they wanted to be gifted in. So here's what they say. Well, then I, I, I'm not going to serve. Whew. You mean to tell me you're going to throw it all away because it's not where you think you should be? Doesn't God's ways outweigh your ways? I've also seen people in the wrong places. I remember going into my first, Landon and I were here last night, and and I wasn't going to say anything about it, but I'll say it now since we're kind of talking about it. We were here last night, we prayed for this service. I'm going to be here every Saturday night praying for the service. I'm going to eventually ask the congregation to come, but I did not want to say anything because honestly I wanted to do it first and say I'm doing it and then come to say it because it's time now to take Saturday nights and get serious about getting this done. And so Landon and I sat on the stage and we talked and I told him the story of my very first youth ministry. And my very first youth ministry, I came into the church and I was all excited and it was my home church and I kind of knew the setup but I didn't, I didn't know who, like there was kids that came to church, but didn't come to the youth group and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so we got to the first youth group and I had all these games prepared and we were in the gymnasium of the church. And I was like, I was all set up, ready to roll first youth group meeting as a youth pastor. And three kids showed up. And I'm standing there going, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. I got games that require at least five and I got three. I remember thinking to myself, should I just, should I just go somewhere else? And then I remember God clearly saying to me, and, and not in a verbal voice, but in my heart, make these three kids know that they're important. That you're going to stay for those three kids. And so I, I played the games the best we could, and we had fun, and we had a blast, and Long story short the reason there was only 3 kids was because we had this youth leader at this church. Nice guy. But he hated teens. But because we said, well, we need a youth leader and if they if you have elbows halfway up your arm, you're good enough for us. We devoured the youth ministry because they didn't feel loved. God was screaming at him. And so I remember calling and praying and thinking over this. And that's a situation where someone was just serving to serve. That's dangerous. And that's what Peter's saying here use your gifts. Peter breaks those gifts into two categories in verse 11 speaking and serving. Let me begin with the speaking one. I want you to notice the warning. Peter's saying here speak God's word or his oracles to put it another way, not your own words. He's not saying that a speaker he's not saying that speakers speak new revelations or add to the word of God, which is most assuredly not right. In other words, he's not saying that we should be speaking new words of God. No, when you're a Sunday school teacher, when you're, a, when you're a speaker, when your gift requires you to speak, make sure you're speaking from this. And I know I have upset some folks here sometimes and I've upset folks in my last church when I've said, what are you doing for preparation? Because, like, if your gift is truthfully teaching Sunday school or teaching a connection group and you're not preparing before you get there and you're not studying proper books, you are now leading people down an improper road. And ultimately, according to the book of James, you don't pay for it. I do. As the lead pastor. And so if you want to get upset by me driving that point home, sorry, you're not paying for it. I am, as the shepherd of the flock. In fact, one of our pastors put up earlier this past week on the Facebook wall, you know, we have seemingly came to a point where we don't confront anything anymore. And our new bishop soon-to-be new bishop, Randy Sizemore, very lovingly said, you know, one of the questions you guys were asked as pastors was, will you lovingly confront wrong teaching in your churches? And if you answered yes and you're not, think again. And so it's very important to us because Newsflash, not everybody on TV is right. Newsflash, not every pastor that preaches is not preaching the Word of God, at least in its purest form. And you better be careful. And so, yeah, it comes across rough and crash sometimes and rash and and all those things, but it is a part of my calling that I take pretty serious. And so what Peter is reminding them is, is don't talk about the latest culture. Talk about this. Don't, don't let See, see, everything you teach should be through this lens. If this Bible of, in and of itself is a commentary, you don't do it this way. You don't read the commentary and do the context through the commentary. No, it should always be this way. Do you see the difference? Oh, this guy's going to tell me how to believe no, God's going to tell me how to believe, and this guy's going to help me flesh it out. And that's what Peter is calling these people to do. He's not saying don't 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 use commentaries and don't use other thoughts. He's saying do the scripture first and do it through the lens of the scripture. And speak the oracles of God. Don't speak your own thoughts. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. One commentator puts it this way. It's so easy for some to think they can speak their own wisdom into people. And Peter here is warning against that. Make sure you're tied into the word of God when you are speaking. And whether your gifts are speaking gifts or serving gifts, they should never be done in your own power, but in the strength God provides. This begins where we began this morning. It's one big circle. I love it when Scripture does this. It's one big circle because people ask me, well, how do I do this in God's power? How do I do this in God's power? How's your prayer life? But I try to do it in God's power, and I fall, and I fail, and I get tired, and I want to quit, and I want to do this, and I want to do How's your prayer life? How's your communication with the Savior? How's your talking going with him? How's your communication line? Is it broken? It is absolutely the same thing as a marriage. You know people that come into my office and they're saying well we're struggling pastor here's why we're we're struggling and they go all around and they go all around and what do I say usually I usually say to them the very first thing is how's your communication I mean do you all talk or you like ships passing in the night because the minute the communication breaks down the relationships breaks down why is it any different with God not when we don't talk when we don't share our feelings when we don't listen to each other with love our, our relationships break down and the same thing goes with God and so what I am saying is not only are you praying but are you listening when he says something to you that seems to be my struggle some days I'll give him my grocery list. I'll tell him what I want. Like, you know, here's what I want, God. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be. Here's who I want you to go after. Here's what I want you to do. And all this stuff. And then, and then I'll say amen, and I'll be like, okay, Landon needs to do this, and, and Chris needs this, and this needs this, and this needs this. And all of a sudden, I've never taken time to say, God, speak to me. What is it that you want, God? Because um, it's most likely not going to match with what you want. And that's why we don't listen. That's exactly why. If I know Michelle's going to poo-poo an idea that I have, guess who ain't talking to Michelle about the idea I have? I don't want to be poo pooed on. No one does. So I'll figure out a way to get it done without communicating with my wife. And I'll pay for the consequences later. Same thing goes with God. God says, but you're wrong. God, I couldn't be wrong. Yes, you are. I want you to have this perspective. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. But God, I want to do this. But you that's not where I want you. But it all begins with a prayer. You will pray before doing anything and everything, and that will keep you on his, on his timing, his strength, his work, etc., and why is all this so important? Because, friends, if you're speaking your own words and doing everything in your own strength, you should, you will get the compliments. And you very well should. Absolutely you should. If you're doing all the things you do and all the service you do for your strength and your, and speaking in your own words and speaking in everything else, you should get the compliments and you should keep them. But that means your treasures in heaven aren't being built up. It means your trophies are going to rust and destroy. And that's what Peter's saying here you're speaking the word of God and you're doing everything through his strength then it isn't about you it's about him who it should be about in the first place and you know what also happens Peter doesn't say this but I believe he could drive at this puts an end to Getting frustrated with criticism. Let me explain that. See, if I'm doing it in my own power and my own plan and my own thoughts and my own thinking, when someone criticizes it, they criticize me. And so I get hurt. But if I'm truthfully 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 and no one knows this other than God truthfully presented it to God and doing it in in his heart and he has asked me to do it now when they criticize me they're not criticizing my work they're criticizing his and now I can walk out confidently saying I'm following what the Lord has asked me to follow for faith church or for my family or for whatever and they can criticize me all they want but it's about him. And see this hit me this past week because like I'm one that like you know you get one little little jab somewhere and I change the entire plan and you know what that means? That means I'm following my own way not God's. And so one of the things that I've been doing in my own personal life, and I'm admitting this to you this morning because I want you to do the same thing, is I've been asking God several times, several hundred times before I present anything to Landon or the ministry council or anything, I've asked him, is this your plan or is this what Pastor Brett just wants for this beautiful place? What is it? Because if it's just what I want, take it off the table because at the end of the day when I go into that meeting and someone criticizes it or after the meeting someone criticizes it, if it's my plan, I'm just going to dump it anyway. So let's not even go through that song and dance, God. If this is your plan, then we're following it. But here's the deal, we all have to pray that way. Because if there's even just a little bit of selfish ambition, according to Philippians chapter 2, it ruins, it, it poisons the entire body. You see, that answers this question, why do we do what we do? It's our final question of the morning. It's answered by Peter in the second half of verse 11. Listen to what he says. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Notice the words here, what Peter's saying to the church. All things, God gets the praise. All things, God gets the praise through Jesus Christ. And that if he gets all the glory and power forever and ever, Peter tops it off with a stamp of affirmation by saying, Amen. Amen. And he says, listen, here's the deal. Use your gifts. Find out what they are. Tie in. Plug into this redemptive community. Watch what God will do when you do it. But always, always, always make sure you're doing it in God's power, not your own. Make sure you're doing it for God's honor, not your own. Because what, what will happen is, is that when you're doing it for your own, you will get flustered. You will get frustrated. You will say things like, well, if that's the way they feel, then I'll just go and do something. And, and that is not the way that God wants to plan to be done. It's not. If it's truthfully of God, go for it. You hear me, the lead pastor of the church is saying, if it's truthfully of God, come talk to me about it. I will gladly bend over backwards, if it's truthfully of God, to do whatever we can do to involve that ministry in your church, in our church. I will do it. But please make sure it's truthfully of God. Now, I'm way behind the curve. I hope you're not. You know, it's taken me 45 years 20 of them in the ministry to finally figure this all out. You still have time. Catch on to it. Because I don't want it to just be lip service that God gets the praise. I've been there, done that. I've seen it in people where they say, well, yeah, I want God to get the praise, but then when they don't get the praise, they get upset. No, no, if you want God to get the praise then you may not get it. You know, it's like the person who sang for a VBS. And I'm going to act like I don't know who this person is. At a very young age, I was in the ministry. You know, you say very young age. But you're a very young age right now, is what you're saying. But some of you are saying, but that's besides the point. I just started out in the ministry, and I was putting this bulletin together. And I want to share this story because this, 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 this nails it home. I was putting this bulletin together, and we sent it out to everybody involved in the closing program at VBS. And we were so proud of it, the senior pastor and I, not in a prideful way, but we were like, we prayed about it, we thought about it, we were so prideful about it in the sense of, God's going to, this is going to be awesome, this closing program. And so we send it out, and... We get this email back. Actually, it wasn't an email because back then not everybody had emails. It was still the dial up thing. And uh, it was a phone call. And I'm just, I was in my closet, I mean my office. That's what it was. It was a closet, basically. I'm sitting there, and this lady says to me, Hey, I noticed that my name's not in the bulletin. I said, Yeah. So did you also notice that my name and the senior pastor's name and no one else's name is in the bulletin because we're doing that so that people don't get praise, God gets praise? I did notice that. And I thought it was resolved. I was like, praise the Lord, we resolved that. It's over. It's done with. But then the next comment came. If my name's not in the bulletin by the time I get there, I'm not leading worship tonight. I guess we got a problem then see that's the kind of attitude that's presented sometimes my name doesn't get in lights I don't do the service wow flies right in the face of 1 Peter chapter 4. What about God getting the glory? What about God getting the power? What about God being the reason we do it? Letting him take all the praise and all the honor. I'm not going to tell you how that ended because I'm actually disappointed in myself. I caved. I will tell you. I look back on that day and I wish I would have told LA, then I guess we'll have to find somebody else to lead worship. But I didn't have the guts. And I did what was wrong according to 1 Peter 4. I have the guts now but I didn't then. See, that's what standing up for truth looks like. Is saying, are we in this for us or are we in this for him? And so where do we start in doing this? I believe it starts right where we are We've been in the last two weeks, and you can slide the next picture up there. Ask God to examine your church and expose any activity that's driven by selfishness or empty conceit. Pray that he will give everyone involved the grace to repent. That's the call. We spent two weeks talking about repentance. I don't know if you noticed. Because I will tell you this, if there's going to be a change, if there's going to be a ship changing in the ocean, the only way it's going to start is if people start to repent. If we say we've been right, we've been on the right path this entire time, we haven't been wrong, we haven't misstepped, we haven't had the wrong attitude, we haven't grumbled when we shouldn't have, we haven't done this, we've been perfect this whole time, the ship will continue to run towards the glacier. The only way the ship will change direction is if people actually say, I messed up. I messed up. That is the goal. Looking to God and being humble enough and alert enough and sober-minded enough to ask him to help us and repent where we need to repent. That's the call of First Peter chapter 4. This morning. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.